HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food, where today we bring you a special episode recorded in the halls in lunchroom and a lunchroom inside an actual school. Um, last month, PSMS 34 on the Lower East Side of Manhattan opened its doors to me, Laura Stanley, um, Heritage Radio. Executive Director Aaron Fairbanks and our intern Richie Weisberg. Um, we were there to observe how New York City kids have learned to separate their cafeteria trash, which now includes compostable plates citywide. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, New York City, the biggest district in the nation, comprised of more than a million students, is now not just using compostables, but composting compostables. So more about that shortly. Uh, But first, we have to sort some waste, because you can't compost it if you don't separate it. And for our guides, we have five of PSMS34's core of fifth grade cafeteria rangers, uh, Justin Aglada, Rihanna Akhtar, Abigail Cueva, Raymond Borges, and Ginyai Velasquez. Uh, when we met the rangers, they had already manned their stations behind a series of bins in the school's small lunchroom, and they were pretty excited to teach us exactly how to correctly t- uh, empty and dispose of a lunch plate. If you have extra milk, okay. you would squeeze it into here, okay. pour it out, squeeze, pour, my milk. squeeze your milk, okay. and then you would crush the crush, um, the carton. And then put it, chuck it into here. Okay, okay. And and it says, so the next bin says recycle hard plastic and foil too. So th- does that mean the milk cartons can be recycled? Yes. yes. Excellent. All right. And then what else on my tray goes into this um, bin? Your, your forks. forks and spoons. And the forks and spoons can be recycled also? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know hard that. Plastic. That's great. Okay, so at this point, how much is left on my tray? Your garbage and your food scraps. Okay, so what's garbage? Like 
of the stuff you didn't finish on your food goes there. Like and the then, for example, if you have a peanut butter jelly sandwich, the wrapper would go in here. Okay, so we've jumped the, we've dumped the trash, and the next bin is food scraps. Yeah, food so scraps. like okay. you know, if I'm like you're eating, but then you don't want no more, you just dump it into here. Mm -hmm. And then I'll make sure um, that only the food goes in here. Yeah. Right. And then you take a tray and you stack it. So it's any kind of food, you know, like yeah. meat, things oh, with grease on them, and it can all go in here. Napkins and napkins. tissues also go in there. Yeah. Okay. Because they can get recycled. Yeah. Got it. And the, yeah, the remainder of your food goes and, in food scraps. And we try to keep all food out of the trash so it doesn't get incinerated or gets to a landfill. So the trays the rangers were stacking are actually round plates uh, divided into sections, as is typical in schools, with a round section in the center to hold the milk, which is ingenious because with the milk in the middle, the plate doesn't tip. Um, New York City School Food developed this unique design and is purchasing it in collaboration with five other member districts of the Urban School Food Alliance, Los Angeles, Miami-Dade, Orlando, Chicago, and Dallas. Um, all of them will um, be introducing the plates in school year 2015-16 to a greater or lesser degree. Um, the plan is that eventually all six cities will be using these plates exclusively and composting them after their municipalities get on the waste reduction bandwagon. Um, in the meantime, the New York City Department of Sanitation is leading the charge. Uh, they're gearing up to compost plates and food waste from 700 of the city's 1,200 school sites next year. So will the schools be ready? Um, let's just say they're getting there. Uh, the not-for-profit Cafeteria Culture, which is the organization um, that trained our five cafeteria rangers and other students at pilot sites throughout the city, um, they're gearing up too. So if you don't know cafeteria culture yet, you need to treat yourself to a visit to their website and prepare, prepare to be delighted and inspired by their pictures, their articles, and best of all, their fabulous collection of short films. Um, cafeteria culture's creative approach to educating school children about environmental stewardship and empowering them to action is is really gold standard for waste reduction activists across the country. Um, cafeteria culture was a critical catalyst of New York City's historic phase out of uh, single-use, non-recyclable styrofoam, which began just this month. Um, in 2012, cafeteria culture raised awareness citywide with the help of 15-foot rod puppets made from foam school lunch trays. Uh, and they're really striking, like dragons with menacing faces. Um, you have to check out their film about them when you're on the cafeteria culture website. Um, demonstrators have worn these puppets on their shoulders and paraded them all over town. Uh, but this is not where their origin story starts. Founder, artist Debbie Lee Cohen, took us back further uh, to 2009. It's been an amazing process and an amazing journey, starting from a small group of parents who are dedicated to bringing the whole city together on an issue. I think what we've shown is that this is how democracy should work. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, um, in the beginning, a lot of people said to me, Debbie Lee, you are crazy. Go anywhere. Go to Boston. Go to Baltimore. Any city but New York City. You will never be able to make this change 
you will, in New York City, you'll never cut through the bureaucracy. And I thought, but I'm a New Yorker. My kids go to public school here. This is where we have to make the change. And of course, if we make it here, if we could do it here, then we would have the opportunity to change manufacturing trends and operational trends within school food, not only nationally, but internationally. Mm -hmm. So I was motivated to stay right here, but rather than fight the old fight, which is so often what people used to do with Department of Ed in New York, I personally was dedicated to building good relationships and friendships, actually, with the people that we needed to make change with and building partnerships to make that change so that we could do it together. So tell me how you did that. Um, in 2009, I was actually in my daughter's cafeteria. She was seven years old then in her school. And Stephen O'Brien, who is now one of the school food directors, was regional manager at that time. And a friend told me, she said, this guy's going to be there in the cafeteria. He's the one you should talk to about the banning styrofoam in New York City schools. And I approached him. I already had my elevator pitch down. I had already started to work on the issue. I was teaching at Parsons School of Design at that time. I was looking at it more as a design issue than necessarily just a school food issue. And so I was in the right place at the right time. I worked as a designer for most of my life. So I came to it through that lens, not through a food lens. And I basically grabbed Stephen and I said, look, we can either fight you or work with you. Do you want to work with us? And of course, Stephen was like, probably nobody had said it to him like that before. He said, yes, I want to work with you. And he told me exactly who to call. And I practiced my other elevator pitch. I mean, I literally practiced. I thought, well, I got 30 seconds to leave this message. And I left what I thought was one of my best voice messages ever. And I got an immediate call back from the DOE media office director, Margie Feinberg, that time and um, we set up a meeting with the CEO of school support Eric Goldstein and we were teachers parents and artists who came in for that meeting and at that point in time one of the first things that we suggested in that meeting was collective purchasing because of course Eric said to us how are we ever going to afford this at that point the styrofoam tray was hovering at about four cents per tray and the alternatives were close to 12 cents so the prices dropped dramatically since then. But of course, it seemed impossible. And someone at the EPA, Region 2, I'd worked with, had said to me, you know, hospitals are doing this co-purchasing thing where they actually bring, come together to drive the price down. And we mentioned it in our first meeting, and we talked about possibilities of not finding a solution at that first meeting, but running small-scale pilots in collaboration with design students, with schools as partners, with students as partners, to test solutions rather than come up with something that would fail. Mm -hmm. So to try a variety of things, look at a variety of possibilities, and that took years. So you, had, so you had a number of pilot schools that were looking at different ways to sort waste, stack trays. We weren't quite there yet. That okay. came later. At that point, we were just focused on the design of the tray itself. Okay. But what became clear very soon after that was that even if you got the new compostable plate, which was hard to imagine at that time, could that happen? Even if you had composting in place, which people then said, it'll never happen, or it'll take 10 years or 20 years. If all the infrastructure was in place, there would still be this incredible need for engagement and, and, and education that would connect to what was going on in the cafeteria, and that did not yet exist. And that's what we decided as an organization. Okay, we're gonna keep working on this advocacy to get rid of these styrofoam trays in New York City and the whole country. You know, really, how can we move that forward? But at the same time, we're going to run this parallel educational component. We're going to start developing and piloting curriculum that takes place in the cafeteria and in the classroom 
that can really get people excited so that they can know why this change is so important. Right. So if you don't know the why, then it's a lost what, opportunity. One teacher who really gets this is Allison DeGrazia, who teaches fifth grade at PS34 and designed Common Core compliant curriculum to help train the rangers. Um, all fifth graders uh, take turns being rangers, which offers Allison a golden opportunity to generate discussion and learning about a host of environmental issues that impact the lives of urban children. Um, it's kind of a pilot program right at this point, right. so we're developing the curriculum um, and seeing what works and what doesn't. So right. this is my second year working with Cafeteria Culture, mm -hmm. and they kind of help guide us in what has worked for them so far and what hasn't. Right. Um, so we've done Socratic discussions with the kids, um, so they kind of sit around and they read an article to get some background knowledge, but then they can also bring their own knowledge to the table, and they kind of sit on different sides of the circle, and they have a chance to have like an open debate yeah. about an essential question. Um, so it gives them a chance to kind of hear each other's voices and hear the different point of views or perspectives around a topic, and that gives them the chance to kind of develop their own opinions and you'll see sometimes like halfway through they'll switch sides um, and they'll realize you know this one has some valid points and you know I prefer this side actually and, and this is just fifth graders yeah so okay. far we've just been doing it with the fifth grade at the school right. um, but we're trying to this year what we did was we were developing them and helping them become leaders mm -hmm. so that way they could go to every class in the school and teach them what they know right. so they had an opportunity to go to every different grade and kind of share with them what we've done teach them help them learn how to sort help them learn how to do all this work that we've been doing with them right um so they kind of take the initiative and lead the others to do it what's a typical question that you have them work on um, we had asked them specifically this year, we were talking, or last year I should say, we were talking about should we ban styrofoam in New York City? Mm -hmm. And it was a relevant question that was actually happening, it was a current event question, and then it was something that pertains to our local city. Mm -hmm. um, so they had an opportunity to kind of like explore that, um, and they realized, you know, all these evils of styrofoam. So that was one of the questions we asked them. They're typically open-ended, very like... Um, loose questions that they can have a lot to say and there's no right or wrong opinion it's just kind of a question that they can make their own opinions on um, this year it was more focused on since we banned styrofoam and we succeeded doing that now it's more focused on the plastic bags should we have a 10 cent plastic bag fee Right. And so they explored, you know, the positives of having it, but also the negatives of having it. Um, so it gave them an opportunity to see these very current event, real world situations that we're going through right now. So we went protest. to City Hall, we protested at City Hall. Um, so they had an opportunity, even three of them got up in front of everybody at the stand and the podium and had a chance to say and voice their opinions on the issue. Right. And they were heard by politicians, they were on the news. It completely opened up their eyes to see that it does matter what they have to say and sometimes it matters even more because they're children yeah yeah and these are kids who live in this neighborhood yes, yes most so, of them live around this area right so this is a very a densely urban area yeah. um, it's a title one school exactly. which means that most of them have free or reduced price lunching right right so these kids really live in the presence of garbage yep. they see it they it impacts their lives yeah. in a way it might not in a suburban or rural right. district. So it's very real to them. Yeah. And research like shows that these kids are actually more affected generally mm -hmm. because of, you know, the pollution in the area and things like that, that they actually like get sick from 
you know, everything that's going on around them. And are they aware of that too, that this is kind of a justice issue for them personally? We brought it up during Socratic discussions yeah. and, you know, I don't know that everyone picked up on it, but there were definitely a few who said, you know, it, it's right there. We see it when we look out the window, you know, all this pollution that's going in the air and, you know, how landfills are generally in these type of areas. Yeah. You know, they see it and they recognize that it causes asthma. Well, a lot of us have asthma. Yeah. So it's very real for some of them. So the students are our partners in everything. Yeah. They are our partners in developing curriculum, just as teachers are, and staff and administration. Students are golden to us. And I actually feel that this whole movement could not have happened without students as our partners. So from really from day one, it's not only teaching them to be um, student advocates and advocates for whatever issues are important to them, but also empowering them with the tools to be able to learn how to do it in a fun way and in a way that might appeal to them so that they can be lifelong advocates. Right. Okay, so the kids have learned that activism can be fun. It can make their heads swell with confidence and with pride, but they've also learned the equally important lesson of just how hard it can be to affect lasting change. More about that after station break. I'm Laura Stanley, and you're listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to Inside School Food. How did you like our break song? Um, it's called Sorting It Out, and it's the audio to an instructional video that Cafeteria Culture is working on with the students of Middle School 246 in Flatbush, Brooklyn. So we left off with a lot of exciting talk about how thrilling it can be for students to discover their inner activists and how Cafeteria Culture has helped so many of them accomplish that. But our rangers told us that they've had to work pretty hard for it. So do you find that your fellow students sometimes don't remember and you got to say, hey, stop, no, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's yeah. Sometimes the 
trays end up in here, uh, so we have to dig it out and, and put it, it over there. Sometimes they just walk past and they keep on then the people yeah. that are doing stuff, they have yeah, to take it out. Yeah, yeah. Milk in some here. people right get places. really frustrated, but we have to we have to remind them to keep like yeah. calm down. So you guys need to be pretty chill because that can be annoying, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, I lost like control. <laughs> so yeah, so you get mad sometimes. They did yeah. and the wrong thing after we explained everything clearly to them. Yeah, we made an announcement once, but yeah. no one cared. Yeah, but then everybody um they do it on purpose so they can watch you do more work. Yeah, yeah, and really. Yeah, yeah. they're really? trying to separate, really sort out everything. They start laughing like ew, we're touching tries. And then um people would throw uh a, an apple core and shoot it into the trash, uh-huh. and then they know it's supposed uh-huh. to go. Into the compost. They do that on purpose. Yes. yes. Sometimes. Sometimes. It's mostly like the kindergartners. They don't know. Yeah. So uh, really so we don't get mad at them, but the kids. middle schoolers, yeah, they know. They they're know so rude. The yeah. Eighth grade, yeah. Some eighth grade. Students. Yeah. So, but you guys are not middle schoolers yet. No. 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 So Next have, year. So basically, you have to be really patient with the older kids who yes. have an attitude. Yes. I so, mostly know all of them. So, yeah, me so too. I guess I guess part of the job description for a cafeteria ranger is being extremely patient. Yes. 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 I don't have that bone in my body when I'm trying to grow it. But they're clearly not letting go of their newfound convictions no matter how much the big kids diss them. Do you think that this project at school is affecting the way you think about garbage at home yeah. or in the street? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh, because before I guess I used to litter. Well, I don't. I did litter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and I don't litter anymore because I know that it's harmful for the environment. And cafeteria culture coming to the school has been, like, very good because a lot of kids learned about ways to help the earth and our environment, and it is preventing us to not litter, and yeah. it's teaching us about things we never knew. Right. Plus right. then we, we have a challenge, it's called Zero Waste, and we have to recycle, and we, after every, like, the whole school ate, we looked, and it was, I think, a pound, 13 ounces. Yeah. Of the whole school. Before, Together. we used to have um, over, uh, over 20 garbage bags on, yeah. our, on our curbside, and a lot of rats would come around here and yeah. try to... Now we have, like, really, say, three like garbage two, bags. Three bags. Like when we go over there, we turn the corner, and last year there used to be like scary rats with red eyes and like a thousand garbage bags, but now there's like three. Yeah, like like, nothing comes around. Still, now that we've heard about the daily resistance that our plucky rangers face, it, it begs the question, um, how is this going to work? You know, not just across New York City, but the five other huge cities that are committing to trash separation and the ultra-chaotic environment of the school cafeteria. Debbie Lee, not surprisingly, is totally prepared for my question with the kind of visionary response I've come to expect from her. So we definitely feel the time is exactly right to have a national movement for Starve Them Out of Schools campaign and cafeteria culture working towards achieving zero waste cafeterias, especially now that we've seen it's achievable in New York City. Not that we've done it yet, but in fact, the Mayor de Blasio's recent report, One NYC, which is the new sustainability report, was released some months ago. And not only was zero waste included in, his, in the goals of the mayor's office, zero waste school cafeterias. 
And we worked closely with the mayor when he was public advocate, so we're thrilled to see that actually this initiative not only took root starting as a grassroots movement, but actually it's possible. If it's possible in New York, then we feel it's got to be possible in every municipality in this country. And what a great example. So we are in the process of developing some national partnerships so that we can share this message and actually the tools on a national level. Now, of course, um, a school that is in a rural district will have very different operational and infrastructural needs. So our next goal would be actually to begin to tailor the toolkits that we're producing for specific uh, school districts or for specific types of school districts with regard to their operations and infrastructure. I think there's a progression that I don't know that somebody could have predicted this a few years ago, but it seems what's happening is that through this through the styrofoam tray, that by understanding the tray and building the snake or the puppet or whatever, the next logical place, after saying, oh, we have to get rid of these trays that are not resources. We have to have everything that's a resource so that it's a circular economy so that we can reuse this so that it's healthy for our children, for environment. The next logical is, okay, if you're gonna have compostables, then of course you need composting, and then you start to look at food waste, and you think, well, of course, food waste is such a huge percentage of what the garbage actually is in school cafeterias. Yes, then we need to have composting, and then there's a natural progression for municipalities to say, well, if we're gonna have a composting in schools, then we should start looking at composting for residential um, uh, pickup as well as for businesses. In the meantime, many people who visit the Cafeteria Culture website from districts of all sizes find themselves called to more immediate action. So um, I mentioned to you that um, I recently stumbled on an article about students in Ohio, small district, that saw what you had done. I guess they found your videos of the um, of the styrofoam tray puppets and dragons that you marched on City Hall with and you marched through Grand Central Station with them. They're like gorgeous. They've been all over New York, all yeah, five boroughs. Very <laughs> impressive, very impactful. So these Thank kids you. saw these and, and they wanted to get the styrofoam out of their much smaller district. So they made one of these puppets and marched it into their Board of Education. Board of Education members were completely charmed and said, let's do it, let's go compostable. And I'm just wondering, you know, how many other instances of other districts, large and small, are you finding, like, stumble on what you're doing and are in the Well, interestingly, I receive emails, not quite daily, but sometimes daily, sometimes three a day from all over the country. And sometimes they're from fourth graders, second graders, parents, high school students, college students, school food directors, recycling coordinators for a whole municipality. And over time, I've, I've developed a better reply, I think, or I've improved the reply. And one of the things that's in the reply on how to, what steps to take, actually, but that's the question that most people ask. How can you help us? And I'm thinking, we're so underfunded. We have no funding right now for working on a national level. Mm-hmm. But I answer every single email. Not always immediately, but I get to it. And I give a list, basically, of in order of how you can go about to make the change. I look up their district, and I see how it's structured. I ask them some questions, and they get back to me. And then I tailor um, my response to what, how their district is operating. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things that's always in there is about creating these installations or puppets that we call really data puppets. Mm-hmm. So what it is, it's... One giant part of it is making change fun. And believe me, if you have a sign and you're standing outside City Hall and you say, ban styrofoam, 860,000 trays, toxic polluting, 
if a city council member walks out, they might engage with you or they might just be too busy. Yeah. But if you're standing there with a 15-foot high puppet on a backpack that's this monster face, what happened is that instead of us engaging the city council members, the city council members come right up to us and say, wow, this looks like something I should know about. And then you don't have to talk about the data. You can actually visually show it and say, okay, this puppet here is made out of 500 trays. It's from one elementary school, and that's what was used in one day. That's typical of one elementary school in New York City per day. So then somebody can actually visualize the garbage that we amass on a daily level that is not recyclable and that is not a resource. Then we talk about the $330 million that we're paying as taxpayers per year to get rid of our garbage to export it out of states. Right. Let's not forget that. Like all human assaults on the environment, garbage is really expensive. Um, As we draw to a close, I I would like to emphasize what Debbie Lee said about funding. She and her team have been doing all this remarkable work pro bono for six years. And when I think about how much they have accomplished and what the impacts are going to be going forward, I find that staggering. Um, If you want to help, you can donate. Um, And you can do that via the Cafeteria Culture website, which is posted on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com. Also, do not forget that last fall we recorded an interview with Stephen O'Brien, who is Director of Food and Menu Management at the New York City Department of Education, along with Dora Rivas, who is Executive Director of Food and Child Nutrition for the Dallas Independent School District. Um, This is a great partner episode to today's episode in that Stephen and Dora tell the story of the compostable plates from the perspective of the Urban School Food Alliance. So finally, an encore from our rangers, Justin, Jinyai, Rihanna, Abigail, and Raymond. Do you, do, you might not know this, but do you realize that you are nationally leaders? You are for yes. schools in the whole country? Yes. yes. Yeah. You're making a big, very big difference yes, each step at a time. Yeah. I mean, have any of you thought about going into some kind of career in the future that has to do with environmental preservation or, yes. you know, something connected yeah. to this? It came up once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would you, like, tell other students who don't have a project like this? Like, what do you really um, like, like about it? What's hard about like, it? Like, I always try to convince them to try to do it at home. Like, yeah. when I see how some people just thinking they're going to get cans and stuff and they're supposed to them. Like, try to do stuff like that, because I did it, like, for, like, a month, and I got a lot of money off. And I guess if you can't convince the whole school, at least try to talk your friends into doing it, and teach them the importance of it, and tell them a bit about it, so maybe they would be inspired to do stuff like this. Like, you could do it at home, and you could actually inspire other, other kids in the world. And it could all start with you. You've been listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network, a special episode recorded at PSMS 34 on the far east side of Lower Manhattan. I'm Laura Stanley. Thanks for listening.
After lunchtime is my fave. After lunchtime is my fave. At the bins I sort to save. At the bins I sort to save. Trash pollutes, it's overrated. Trash pollutes, it's overrated. Truck to landfills incinerated. Truck to landfills incinerated. Sort to save is what to do. Sort to save is what to do. Save fish, the birds, and polar bears too. Save fish, the birds, and polar bears too. Sort to save. Sort to save. Start today. Start today. Sort to save. Sort to save. Here's the way. Here's the way. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.